concerning it. But before we do, if you turn to Acts chapter 2, we're going to take a look at the day of Pentecost and, and Peter's uh, first sermon, I mean, the day that the church began, if you will, uh, where Peter preached his sermon and, and men and, and women, if you will, and uh, families came to the Lord. 3,000 in a day uh, came to the Lord. And there are many other accounts where thousands came to the Lord at one time because they heard the gospel preached. The Bible says in Romans 1 that the gospel, I, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So what is the gospel? It's simply uh, the good news. And what's the good news? Hello, Crystal, David. It's great to have you with us this morning. <laughs> I'd have been distracted my whole sermon by having seen them set over there. It's great to have you back uh, to visit the family. Um, but the power of God unto salvation, it's the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ, he came and he hung on a cross for each and every one of us. He paid the price for sin. None of us could pay. We couldn't redeem ourselves. We needed a redeemer. We needed a savior. And Jesus came for that very purpose. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. I don't know about you. Amen. Are you eternally grateful? That's right. So uh, Acts 2, and go to verse 29, and we'll start reading there. And this is where Peter is exhorting. He's already talked about Jesus being crucified, but he goes in, he talks about the patriarch David, and he says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had uh, sworn with an oath to him that he would uh, would sit set excuse me one of his descendants on his throne this is referring to Jesus he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ and that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father to the, excuse me, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, this is God, right, which the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all one and the same, correct? This is God saying to himself in Jesus Christ, God Emmanuel in human form, right? Christ with us, Emmanuel, God with us. This is the Lord saying to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Make no mistake about it. There is an enemy that exists in this earth. It's evil, it's corrupt, and it's at work every day. It is the fall of mankind. It's sin, and it is at work. Well, it's the devil, right? Now, the devil's work is he works that through the nature of sin that Adam introduced all of us to. In other words, in the garden, when Satan enticed the woman, right, and the man and the woman ate of the fruit, on that day they surely died, just as God said they would. And when they died, they subjected every single one of us, all of mankind from that point on would be subjected to the nature of sin. That is the enemy, if you will. The, see, the world, the love of the world is the enemy or the enmity in the King James Version of God. It's the love of the world. Why? The world and its ways is an enemy of God. 
And when we come to Christ, we are turning from those wicked ways. We're turning from those worldly ways to walk in the way of God. That is what's going on. And the battle is won when every, each and every soul that turns to Christ, just as they were singing in the, in the worship song, there's an army rising. And we enlist in the Lord's army the moment that we cross those lines and come into his kingdom because of the work of his son Jesus Christ, we become a soldier in the Lord's army. And there is a battle that continues to rage. And the only thing that will defeat sin is the one who hung on the cross. That's why the only weapon we really have that matters is the witness of what Christ has done in our individual lives. When we share that, listen to what Peter goes on to say. <clears throat> he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, now here it comes. Peter's saying, this is what will push sin back. This is what will push the enemy of God back. Worldliness in the world's ways. Repentance. Watch. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the empowerment comes from God to be witnesses. Isn't that right? Because right before this passage where Peter is preaching, the Holy Spirit came. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did Jesus say? Go and tarry. Go wait in Jerusalem until you're what? Endued with power from on high. The power of the Holy Spirit will come. And Jesus goes on to say this. And then, say and then. See that movie where they pull up to the drive-thru? And then. Yeah, most of you have seen it. And then. See, and here's the deal. On the day of Pentecost, it was a, and then. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, and then you'll be my witnesses. Peter preaches his message, and what he says is repent and be baptized for the remission or forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit too. You're going to receive the same Holy Spirit that we just received, that you guys were mocking, that when I stood up and preached this message, that this Jesus whom you crucified, is both Lord and Christ. And when they heard the good news that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, they were cut to the heart. They were cut in their heart. They felt a conviction in their heart that I'm not living for God. I, I can't save myself. What do I do? They begin to cry out, what do I do? And every single one of us, when we heard the gospel message, at the point where we heard it, say heard it. See, because you can hear and not hear. You can see and not see. When Jesus spoke of the parables over and over and over again, the disciples would say to him, why do you speak in parables? Because seeing they cannot see and hearing they cannot hear. Jesus was tying it to life's lessons so that it would be in front of them each and every day. Parable of the sower. There's the uh, hard soil, the wayside soil, that soil that's trodden underfoot over and over and over again. The seed lays on top. And the fowl of the air comes in and plucks up the seed. Who did Jesus compare the fowl of the air to be like? The devil, Satan. He comes immediately to steal the word from you when you've got hard soil that's not been broken up by the word of God. It goes on and he says, he says to them that, that uh, there's also rocky soil. 
and that the, the seed will spring up immediately with great joy, right? It's excitement. Man, I love Jesus. But, see, that seed will set on top of that rock, and because it cannot have depth, it immediately springs up, but its roots are shallow, and therefore, because its roots aren't deep into the soil, it cannot draw the sustenance, and when the sun comes out, it withers and dies. Anybody remember what he said that the rocky soil was like? It was like those who, if you will, were, were the, uh, had no foundation in them, no depth of the word in them. And as a result of that, when tribulation comes, the sun is what he compares that to. When troubles come in your life, now it's, oh, well, that doesn't work. Why? Because your roots are shallow. You can't hang on to it, see? It goes on, he says, and then there's the, uh, the seed that fell among the thorns. Anybody remember what the thorns were? The thorns were the cares of this world that grow up and creep in around that seed that's growing. They're growing up together, and it chokes out the life of God's word in your life. That things, houses and homes and cars and jobs and money and, and, and friends and all the things in this world begin to become so filled up in your life that you have no time for God. No time for his word. And then Jesus goes on, and he says, but there is seed that fell on good soil. And let me say this, not one of us saved our own soul. Oftentimes we can think, well, well, I remember when I made a decision. Yes, that's true. We do make a decision. But the reality is this. You would never have made that decision unless God moved upon you by his spirit, just as he did with them. When they heard this, they were cut in their heart. I remember when I heard about the love of God in such a way I never heard it before. That God so loved me that he gave his son for me. If it had only been me, God would have gave his son for me. And I'm telling you, that's a love that I've not seen out of any human being. Can you say amen? And that kind of love is what drew me. See, I didn't really make a decision for him as much as he came and touched my life. And I said, why would I not want this? It's too attractive not to want eternal life. It's not something I can attain on my own. So I am eternally grateful that Jesus died on that cross to pay the price for my sin. And that God loved me enough to send his Holy Spirit after me. Because the scriptures say that no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. The scriptures also say this. That you can't come to the Father unless you come through the Son. It's the Spirit drawing you, but the Spirit will always draw you through the Son so you can come to the Father. Can you say amen? <clears throat> Peter says that, and sure enough, that day, that's exactly what they did. They repented, and they were baptized in water. They were immersed. Say immersed. All the way under, they were immersed. Life is full of symbolism. Baptism is a symbolism, but it is also an act of obedience. Let me, let me ask you this. If, if I throw up this, what would you say that stands for? What's it stand for? Symbol, right? What would you say? What, two? The number two? What's that stand for? Uh, <coughs> where's Damon at? If I throw this up, what do you think of? 
I was back here. We were kind of talking a little bit. I said, if I do this way, and, and Damon goes, hippies, man. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that wasn't what I was shooting for, so I'll have to say that different. You know. <laughs> Let me ask you, when I, when I hold this up right here on, on that finger, what do you think of? Think of marriage, don't you? Why? Because it's a symbol of what? My covenant with my wife, my marriage to my wife. When, you, uh, when you're driving down the road and, and, and you're looking for a McDonald's, what are you looking for? The golden arches, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. I've got one more in here. What was it? Uh, oh, okay, the flag, for instance, uh, American flag. What do you think of when you see the American flag? Freedom. Why is that? Because it's, it's been centered, freedom and liberty, right? It, it, patriotism at its you know, core, when we think of it, is to be a free people, right? That we're all created by God, equal. Isn't that right? And what does that equal mean? That means under him. But yet it's amazing how people want to change symbols, isn't it? Do you know baptism has had its own fight? Well, baptism's not important. The guy hanging on the cross next to Jesus wasn't baptized, and he got to go to heaven. Well, I don't know about you, but he was hanging on the cross next to Jesus. Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, the church began. Jesus paid the price on the cross. And that's the only place that I've watched people pull out, well, the guy hanging on the cross next to Jesus. So you don't have to be baptized. And I've always said this. Why in the world would you start your relationship off with Jesus by saying, I don't want to do what you say? Why would you do that? If you really believe in him, right, if you love him, what does he say? If you love me, you'll do what? Obey my commandments. Isn't that right? Uh, let me touch on the first thing, why we should be uh, or get baptized in water. Uh, some churches don't do baptism, as I was just uh, sharing. But at Gateway, it's a high priority. It's a high priority because Jesus himself was baptized in water, and he commanded us to be baptized in water. Matthew 28 19, these are Jesus' words himself. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Another part of that passage is teaching them, say teaching them, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you to do. And Jesus gives them the great commission, which is a commandment to go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you to do, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. According to this, baptism is not an optional extra. It is something that Jesus desires us to do. Uh, The second thing, even Jesus was baptized. Matthew 3 and verse 13 through 16, the context of it is, even though there uh, was no need for him to be baptized, Jesus became a pattern for us. Remember John the Baptist, when he walks up to John the Baptist, and John goes, I have need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, Suffer it to be so for now, that the scripture may be fulfilled. In other words, Jesus himself was obedient to what the word said. And when he followed in that obedience, what happens when he gets baptized? The Holy Spirit comes upon him. Isn't that right? What did Peter say to them? Be baptized, repent and be baptized. Now, he didn't need to be baptized, but he followed in that to be what? Who's our example? Do you follow me or do you follow Jesus? And you follow me as I follow Christ, right? 
So who are you really following when you're following other people? What are you looking for? You're looking for, are they following Jesus? Some of you remember me talking about the pattern when I worked in construction and we had the trusses and the guy says, cut everything after the pattern I made for you, right? And I started sawing them and I'm thinking, these trusses are really heavy. I'm by myself and I got to flip them off and flip them back on and it gets so hard to just follow Jesus. It'd be easier. Can you just do it for me? And I'll follow you, man. I won't read the word. I'll just trust what you have to say. That's the same thing. I flip them off. Flip them. It's like it's hard for me to get in the word. It's hard for me to get on my knees and pray. It's hard for me to follow Christ. Can you just follow Christ for me and I'll follow you? Well, I won't even know if I'm following them as they follow Christ if I don't get in the word myself. We all need to be cut after the pattern. And Jesus is that pattern. And Jesus was obedient, even though he didn't need to be baptized. He followed what the scriptures commanded because he's our example. He's the perfect pattern. And we all need to be cut after him. Can you say amen? Uh, the third thing is many uh, experience a special touch from God during baptism. I've seen people when they go into water baptism, it is it's so special. I mean, they come up in tears just flowing where they've sensed God touched their life. I know I was touched in baptism. You know, how many of you in here when you got baptized in water, you know, experience God touch your life? Raise your hand. Look around the room. You know, how many when you got baptized in water, you knew you were being obedient to Christ? Almost everybody that's been baptized knows that's the reason why they stepped into baptism. And out of that obedience, let me say this. That's the point where you know whether or not your relationship is real with Christ. Am I willing to follow him? Will I do what he says? I don't want to do what he says. I'm not following him. I don't want to do what the word says. I'm not following him. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God in the word. It was Christ. It is Christ. And following his word is the key. So having that experience, if you will, when we come to Christ, uh, if you will, we have that point where when we're immersed in water, it's a symbol also of being immersed into the life of Christ. Some get a fresh touch from the Lord in the midst of baptism by the Holy Spirit as well. Some have received the Holy Spirit before baptism in water, some after. doesn't really matter. It's not a matter of the order that it comes. It's a matter of obedience in following Christ. Four, who can be baptized? Anyone can be baptized if they believe. That's the only requirement is that you believe the work that Christ has done on the cross for you. The redemption is only found in the work of Christ. Acts 8.12 says this, but when they believed, Philip, uh, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 8, 34 uh, through 39 goes on to say this. And the eunuch said, this is the eunuch that was reading the book of Isaiah. He didn't understand it. Philip kind of walked up beside him in the chariot. And he says, you understand what you're reading? He goes, how will I understand it unless someone helps me to understand it? So Philip begins to expound to him. And the eunuch said to Philip, uh, about whom? I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and baptized him. 
And when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So he was baptized in water because he came to belief in the work of Christ. He believed and he was baptized 10 years later. Immediately. Acts 10, 44 through 48, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Excuse me. And the believers from among the uh, circumcised uh, who had come to Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. In other words, here's the Gentiles. They're thinking this is all for the Jews. And the Holy Spirit comes and falls on the Gentiles and they're scratching their head going, uh, I kind of didn't see this coming. Now, Jesus had talked about it while he was on the earth, but they didn't see it coming. And all of a sudden it comes. The Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles. Listen to this. Uh, it was poured out upon the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain some days and to instruct them, to teach them the way more clearly, to understand what it was that had just happened in their lives. There is a pattern that we see emerge from these verses. There were times when, when whole households were saved and were baptized, but it's obvious from these other passages that a person first had to believe. In other words, there were Cornelius and his household. They gave their life to the Lord, and his whole household was baptized in water. Kids and all, man, come on in. It's going to be a family baptism. Kabang. And his household included the servants all the way up to everyone else. You know, uh, mama over there in the, you know, the mother-in-law's, uh, you know, house. And there's, you know what I'm saying? The whole family, the whole household were baptized in water. Now, interesting enough, it is something that needs to be significant to us that we need to believe, just like the eunuch believed on his own. And that's where we see our children. I know all my kids have been baptized. And there's times they're like, you know, I can't remember my baptism, you know, because they were so young. But I know the Spirit of God was moving on them at that age. That doesn't mean they need to get baptized again. We'll have some that you're going to see on some of these videos. They were baptized young. They didn't feel like they understood what they were committing to. But, you know, they understood as a child, and that's all that mattered. Do they need to be baptized again? Not according to Scripture for me. But if they want to and they feel that's a conviction in their heart, I'm sure not standing in their way. Can you say amen? Right? I was baptized three times, to be honest with you. I was baptized as a kid. You all know when my grandpa told me my flesh was going to burn off, I was scared to death. You're going to go to hell. <laughs> hell? What's hell? <laughs> it's where the lake of fire, you're going to burn. All your flesh burns off your bones, and you burn forever. And I'm like, and all i got to do is get in the water. That's all you got to do. <laughs> Dude, I'm in. That's all I know, you know. On that Sunday, 12 years old, man, all I know is the preacher preached, and I'm strolling right down the aisle because Grandpa told me if I don't get baptized in water, I'm going to hell. And hell's where you burn forever. I don't want to burn forever, so uh, I'll sign on the dotted line for the fire insurance, man. Get me out of here. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. But that's okay. Here's why. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And I feared God, but I didn't understand the love of God. At 19 years old, I come to understand the love of Christ. Hear that message, and I'm just like, wow, he loves me? That's what this is really all about? It's not about me him casting me into hell because it makes him happy or something? God's not some supernatural killjoy in heaven waiting to you know, just make my life miserable? You know what I mean? No, no, God loves you. He gave his son for you. 
dude, I'm in. That's a different in, if you understand what I'm saying. And then, of course, I go to Germany and, you know, meet a brother, and he's like, you got baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I'm like, yeah. Oh, that ain't the right way to get baptized. Now, I'm new in the Lord. I was so young in the Lord. I didn't, I'm like, really? Yeah, you got to be baptized in Jesus' name. I'm like, holy moly, this is hard, man. It's so confusing. It's like, get baptized not to go to hell. Get baptized because God loves you. Get baptized because it needs to be in Jesus' name. Okay, fine, I'll do it. So I get baptized in the, in the Rhine River in the name of Jesus. Here's the deal. I got it all covered, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got no worries. I don't know where you're at, but I have no worries, you know. <laughs> I'll tell you what, just like the eunuch, what it comes down to is my faith in Jesus Christ. See, when people were telling me, oh, you need to do this or you need to do this, and I could find it, and by gosh, there is a hell. By gosh, you know what? God does love me. By gosh, they did. They, they baptized in Jesus' name. Right there, right there, right there. Every one of those is right. But I don't care, God. I just want to be obedient and follow you. See, that's the reason why that came. It's not that it has to. It's just like, I don't care, man. I just want to follow what Jesus wants me to do. And you know what? It's not like it hurt my life to be baptized three times. Matter of fact, sometimes I think it'd, it'd help if I did it again. Some of you need to do it again. <clears throat> How should a person be baptized? When they took a garment and they dye it, you know, in olden times, even now, when they take a garment, do you know what they do with a garment for that garment? If it's a white garment, how did, how did this material, which began white, become black? Anyone? It was what? It was dyed. Now, if you sat there and saw that with white streaks on it, would you say they did a good job dyeing that? Here's water baptism for you. It's immersion. See, this has been immersed in black dye. When we are baptized, what we are doing is being buried with Christ. We're laying the old self down. We're burying him. We're going into water saying, I want to get rid of you, dude. That's for you young people getting baptized today, dude. I want to get rid of you. I don't like you, self. I like who Jesus is, and I want to be like Jesus. So I want to bury this old man. I want to recognize that what Christ did for me when he was crucified is he paid the price for my sins. I want to be buried with him, symbol. Let me, let me just show you how important this is. Honey, I'm just not going to wear this anymore, okay? I, you know, I'm done wearing my wedding ring. Some of you guys are like, <laughs> dude, you're in trouble when you get home. <laughs> she, why are you not okay with that? Ladies, is it okay if your husbands don't wear their wedding rings? Why? You're what? Say it loud. I'm marked, man. I've been marked for 21 years. I can take this sucker off and it's still there. <laughs> I've got a flesh band around my finger. There ain't no fooling anybody. Not that I would want to, but the point is that I've worn that band. I have been branded, marked. When I'm baptized in water, the Bible uh, refers to this as being an outward profession of an inner, inner faith, an inner covenant with Christ. When I married my wife, this ring went on my finger, and it hasn't come, well, it has come off. I'd say it came off when she put the new one on. It comes off when I put lotion on, and I end up somewhere, and I'm like, oh, 
Oh, my God, where's it at? Where's it at? Yeah. Why? Because there's more diamonds in this ring than there is on her finger. I think she did it on purpose, dude. Because I'm working my way to get her a honking huge diamond. You know what I'm saying? And she's like, I'm like, honey, I don't need something like that. A gold band, that's fine with me. She goes, no, I want you to have this. And every time I look at it, I think, man, that's awful sparkly. And I look at her finger and I'm thinking, man, that was, that was self mo You need to get baptized again, honey. <laughs> I'm marked. When we go into baptism, what happens is, is we, uh, we go under the water. And the Bible talks about coming up to walk in a new and living way. When I got married to Angie, I went into a covenant that I walk in a different way. I'm not scouting ladies anymore. You understand what I'm saying? This is for some of you in here. Because uh, it wasn't in my notes. So, so, so I know somebody needs to hear this. Ladies, my wife doesn't scout other men. We don't hang. I don't hang with other women. She doesn't hang with other men. Well, I got all my girlfriends. You know, I hang with them. No, that doesn't happen. If I had a girlfriend, Angie would be like, well, you got what? <laughs> not anymore, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> When I got home from NTC, Death Valley, California, where Jesus, I encountered Jesus, and I needed to encounter Jesus because when I walked through my door, I got a box sitting at the front door when I got back from that training exercise. I'm like, what's all this? And I'm going through it, and all my old girlfriend pictures are in there and prom pictures and everything else. I'm like, what is that? She goes, oh, you need to get rid of that. I was like, these are my memories. She goes, you can send it home to your mama then. Because <laughs> they don't belong in my house. <laughs> there ain't no other woman that matters to you now. She might matter to your mama because you went to prom with her, but she don't matter to you anymore. Right? Well, my sister called me and, and, and informed me, you know, one of my old girlfriends had, you know, unfortunately died in a car accident. She calls me up, hey, I just thought you ought to know, and da da da. And here's the deal I mean, this poor woman has passed away, you understand? And I mean, okay, you know, and I prayed for a family and everything, but I remember Angie, why does your sister think you need to know about your old girlfriends? That's what I don't understand, you know? And I see you all like, man, that's horrible. No, not really. There are no other women in my life. I ain't joking, right? There's no other men in her life. We minister to people, but that's the end of the matter because we're in covenant, amen? This cloth is black. It didn't come out. If it would have come out with some white streaks on it, it wouldn't be hanging around this baptismal today because when we went to buy cloth, we were buying black cloth. See, when I go into water, I'm laying an old man down. I'm not coming up with streaks of the old man still showing. Do you understand what I'm saying now? The old man is meant to be buried and his sin nature is meant to be left in that water and for you to come up. Now, here's the deal. It's an outward profession of the inner faith. You know who you're professing it to? See, baptism isn't just for you it's for everybody else in the room they're watching you do that and here's what you're saying to them hey my life belongs to jesus now and you have a right to come say something to me if it doesn't look like jesus you see a streak of the world on me would you by all means come and say hey that doesn't look like the guy who was coming out of that water or the gal that was coming out of that water i don't think chasing after women or I don't think going and getting drunk or I don't think you know all those worldly things are to appear upon you when you laid that man down and if they do 
Know that there's always that dead man chasing you around, wanting to get a hold of you again. See, you'll leave him in there and you come out, but he comes out of that water too, looking for an opportunity to get a hold of you again. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're a carnal man. That carnal nature wants to seize you again to drag you back into that old behavior. Watch. find the scripture here we go Romans 6 1 through 11 if you want to turn there Romans 6 1 through 11 see every human suffers from a sin virus that makes sin, sinning seem attractive it's a disease that virus in us makes it seem attractive to us makes us want to do it but Christ is the cure to that disease the Bible teaches that we are under the power of that disease but if we die Say, if we die, it has no more power over us. And here's Romans 6, 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life, that new and living way. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Jesus died for our sins so that we have forgiveness and eternal life. But when we are baptized, you're saying that you do not only believe that, that, but that Jesus died on the cross, that when he died on the cross, the moment that Jesus died on the cross, what you do is identify yourself, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it is Christ that lives in me. It's not your work, it's his work. I've often said, is it this or is it that? Did I choose him or did he choose me? Make no mistake about it. He chose me. And as a result of choosing me, it motivated me to choose him back. I love him, see, because he first loved me. The Bible says that we loved Christ because he first loved us. So what is the significance of water baptism? Baptism is that outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. It is an outward sign of something that God did in your heart. Baptism is a sign that sin's power over us is broken. Sin's power over us is broken. It no longer has the ability to hold you. There's faith. When you come to that place of where those moments where that enticement is there, that you look at it and you say, no. Because it doesn't hold you anymore. Its power has been broken because you acknowledge the power of Christ in your life. Identifying with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection means that God has not only provided so that we can be forgiven our sins, He is also concerned that we should be free from the bondage of power. The final point 
How do I make this a reality in my life? How do I make it a reality in my life? Faith is the key. Say faith is the key. Romans 6, 11 through 13 again, by no means should we continue in sin. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Sin wants to make you obey its passions, but God has given you the power through his son to overcome that. So do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. What is that saying? If you have sinned, praise God that you have an advocate with the father. Anybody know what an advocate is? It's a lawyer. It's an attorney. Jesus is your attorney standing in heaven defending you. Here's his defense. Father, his defense is right there. Father, I died for them. I died for their sins. So if you have sinned, you have the advocate with the father that you can go to. That is grace at its work your part is to go to your advocate your part is to take that to your advocate and say i don't want to follow those passions of sin i want you to work in my life i want to be dead and you alive in me can you say amen this morning so here's where we are we're going to baptize some folks uh who have uh who've made these decisions who have been touched by christ you want to put it up? Yep. Thank you. They've been touched by Christ. And here's what they've come to realize. When Christ said on the cross, it is finished. Guess what? It was finished that day. And they know that. And now what they're going to do is they're going to be baptized in water in front of every one of us, declaring publicly that they're following Christ. And laying that old man in this water, never to walk. In the bondage of sin again. Now, key, never to walk. Say that with me. Never to walk in the bondage of sin again. There's a difference in, in you having to work out your salvation and just laying down and letting the devil run over you. You understand? Or laying down and just following the passions of, of this world. That's where grace does its work. As you come up out of this water, leave that old man, and here's the new man. No matter how much the battle is in working out your salvation, you keep walking towards Jesus. You all have heard me say this many times. A righteous man falls what? Seven times. But what does he do? He gets back up. We know that seven, that number seven, is the number of God. It's the number of perfection. He who has begun the good work in you, who did that? Jesus. He who's begun a good work in you, he's faithful to perform that work in you until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not going to quit on you. He's not going to give up on you. Don't give up on him. Amen. That's the only way the devil can run over you is to give up on God. I'm going to tell you right now, don't give up on God because God doesn't give up on you. Amen. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. Um,